from the wheat fields of the thumb to the cherry trees on the third coast, Michigan grows more than 300 different foods and products that we all enjoy every day. We're on a mission to find every local restaurant, manufacturer, and food company sourcing their ingredients right here in the mitten. And in the process, bridge the gap between the farm and your fork. We want to introduce you to all things Michigan agriculture and food. This is Michigan AF. Welcome to the Michigan AF Podcast. I'm your host, Noelle Nackreiner. If you've been listening for a while, you might know that every year we bring on talented young people to serve as ambassadors for Michigan agriculture. Our ambassadors are the face of the Michigan-grown Michigan Great brand, and one of their tasks is to help produce an episode of this podcast. So today we are joined by Megan Grzynski, a Gaylord native and pre-vet student at Michigan State University. And Megan is joining us with Dr. Daniel Buskirk, an animal science professor at MSU. Welcome to the podcast, Megan, and welcome, Dr. Buskirk. Yes, thank you for having me. Thanks for having and letting us uh, talk about the beef industry. Absolutely. I'm excited. So I know, Megan, you've prepared some questions, so I'm going to let you take it away. Yeah, so our first question is, if Dr. Buskirk, if you could please introduce yourself, that would be great. Sure. I'm Dr. Dan Buskirk. I actually grew up on a farm near Fort Wayne, Indiana just south of Fort Wayne. And we had lots of different kinds of livestock and did some grain farming as well. And I really enjoyed that and enjoyed the beef cow part of it quite a bit. And that's what encouraged me to pursue my um, education at Purdue University. I did a bachelor's degree there and then did a master's um, as well. And then found a position at the University of Illinois, uh, working uh, with uh, beef cattle as as well and did a PA, ended up doing a PhD there eventually. And upon f- kind of getting finished up there, I found the animal initiative was going strong here in Michigan and interviewed for a position that was 50% research and 50% extension in beef cattle nutrition and management. And I thought it doesn't get any better than that. So that's, I applied to that and somehow I was offered the position, and that was 27 years ago. So we've just been moving ahead since then. Yeah, so what or who influenced you to become a professor or advocate for the beef industry? So I didn't really, you know, as a a little kid, I didn't think I'm going to grow up and be a professor. But I knew I wanted to do something with beef cattle. And I I really, thinking on that question, I've got to say that my, my father and my grandfather were great influences because I was... Uh, I was fortunate to grow up on a farm with them as being really strong, strong leaders and strong advocates for, for animal agriculture. And I really grew to love the, I grew to love the livestock, but I also grew to love the people that loved livestock and loved that way of life. And in addition to them, then once I went to Purdue and was pursuing my degree, I had a lot of visits with my beef beef production instructor. And he also really kind of inspired me to continue my education and kind of keep going in this direction. And I just looked for open doors and, and eventually became a professor, but I was, I was really just looking to do something there in agriculture and give back to the, the community that had really given to me to begin with. Yeah. So I know that you said you've been teaching at Michigan state or had a position at Michigan state for 27 years. 
Can you describe what your roles as a professor are? So my roles really are to, to help with outreach and extension in the beef cattle area. So I have a, a 60% extension appointment. So that is helping beef producers with their day-to-day issues and problems. And, and in addition, kind of the big picture sorts of things where I can, where I can help and lend expertise. And then I have a 30% teaching appointment. So I teach the introductory beef cattle management class and also the advanced feedlot management class on campus, as well as doing a lot of guest lectures and other things in, in other courses, kind of all related to the, to the beef area. Then I also have a, a little sliver of appointment, 10% appointment in service. And that service is really helping with, say, the, the being faculty coordinator of MSU Beef Center and other activities like that, helping to organize and coordinate different activities. Yeah, for sure. So you said that 60% of your appointment is for research. What is some research that you have done in the past or what is some current research that you are working on? So with, I've typically been involved in, in either management or nutrition type research. Most of that's been pretty applied type things. So management practices and those kind of things. You know, to, to think back on, on some of those research projects when I, when I first started, a lot of those had to do more with cow-calf production, with different weaning strategies of beef calves. How can we wean them with lower stress and get more production? I, I did a study that got quite a bit of press at one point that was on how do we select round bale feeders based on their design to hopefully waste less feed. So be more productive with the feed that we've harvested for beef cows and not waste very much of it. Currently kind of gotten off into the, into the feedlot area a little bit. And I've got a current graduate student that's working on beef by Holstein cross cattle and trying to understand how they perform in the feedlot compared to kind of our more traditional Holstein steers that we grow a lot of in Michigan and, and understand the differences both in um, performance and also economics um, on how they perform for our feedlot operators. She's also kind of currently, um, actually this morning, we uh, weighed some cattle onto um, a research trial that she's looking into liver abscesses. That's a problem that we have in feedlot cattle sometimes um, that beef by Holstein cross cattle may have additional issues with that particular problem. So she's trying to look into understanding that problem better. And then also at the same time, applying some management, actually nutritional treatments to try to reduce or alleviate that problem in, in these crossbred cattle. Yeah. So when I took your classes, I took intro to beef cattle management spring of my freshman year um, during COVID. And I just finished taking advanced feedlot management this semester. So what does that, what do these courses play in shaping the next generation of beef producers in the state? So Megan actually just got out of the final exam about 10 minutes ago. Um, so uh, she's still upright. So I must not be quite hard enough, but I, I've, I've really actually thought about this quite a bit in the last, in the last month. And I have thought about that some of the, some of the leaders in the livestock industry that I've bumped into, I've been around long enough 
I had a lot of them in the intro beef management class and or the advanced feedlot management class. I don't, I, I won't take credit for any of their success, but I hope that they've maybe learned some things along the way that, that has helped them out. And, and actually I begin to think that some of these courses actually do have kind of a long-term impact on some of the leaders that end up in the beef industry. But I guess my overall hope is that students that take the class, the, the classes here, at least take forward with them some understanding of how the beef industry works and so on. And I, and by no means are, are we thinking that every, every student is, is going to be on that same path, but hopefully these classes give some background and some understanding about kind of why we do things, how it's rooted in science and, you know, un understand better the reasons why we do things like we, like we tend to and accomplish them so yeah so now we're moving on to some questions about the michigan beef industry so are there some possible trends within the beef industry in michigan that are expected to change within the next decade yeah unfortunately my crystal ball is a little bit fuzzy so i don't know exactly where where things are headed but i i guess a big overall trend that i see kind of nationwide is that that we are kind of pushing forward with a beef cow herd and resulting, you know, feedlot inventories that are smaller than they've been in the past. I think the, the overall animal numbers are shrinking a bit. I also think that that, that causes pressures on kind of the, some of the fringe people in our industry. So typically it was pretty easy for people to kind of hop in and hop out of the beef industry. And I don't, in the future, I, I see a little bit of less of that hopping in and out, especially with the capital investment that's required for beef cattle production and so forth. I think that we'll probably have more people that are doing it still, still would be plenty of people doing it on a part-time basis, but those people that are, that are actually doing beef cattle work, whether it's cow, calf or stock or a feedlot, segments of the industry, I think they'll be more committed and, and pretty serious about, pretty serious about the business because there's just so much finances tied up in, in being able to produce an animal anymore that I, th I think it's going to be kind of come down to professional, professional production, if you will. Yeah. So what are some common misconceptions or questions that consumers have about beef quality? We get quite a few consumer type groups coming through the MSU Beef Center. And a lot of times we get questions about antibiotics. They're curious about our use of antibiotics and, and how that affects the, the food system, how that might affect what they, you know, their purchasing decisions and so forth might be. And we often kind of have that discussion. And a lot of times what I find is they kind of come in with the misperception that we're using lots and lots of antibiotics to, to cause growth promotion or um, for other reasons. But when we kind of explain to them how much antibiotics actually cost us um, and what our profit potential normally is, it, it's absolutely prohibitive to use these products in a way that's, that's not really directly 
impacting the health and the welfare of, of the animal. So in other words, we just, we just flat can't afford to do it any other way except for making sure the welfare of the animal is taken care of and, and only that. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's really important that, that people understand that we're judiciously using antibiotics to, to help the health of the animals. And, uh, it really doesn't go any further than that. Yeah. So can you also share some insights into sustainable and ethical practices in beef production within the state? In terms of sustainability, there's been lots of work. MSU has been a, a partner along with the Michigan Department of Ag and Rural Development and others with the MEEP program, the Michigan Agriculture Environmental Assurance Program, uh, to make sure that we're taking care of the environment. That's a voluntary program, but it's gotten great uptake in the industry. And, and I am, I guess, proud to say that the beef industry's been right along with others and trying to make sure that we're being good environmental stewards and really trying to take care of the land. And that goes for people that are in, you know, grazing operations or feedlots or stocker operations. There, there's an interest in making sure that we leave the land as good or in better shape than than we've than we've inherited it in lots of lots of cases. So those kinds of things, we've got um, people at MSU that are uh, trying to help producers in regenerative grazing and regenerative agriculture, and um, again trying to assure that those resources are left in better shape than than they were found to begin with. And then, um, you know, things like beef quality assurance, trying to make sure that we're producing a wholesome product to, to give to our families and, and to market to other consumers as well. Yeah. So I know you have a huge role in the MCA MSU bull evaluation. Could you please explain what it is and how producers can take advantage of? Sure. I uh, help coordinate that program. The MCA MSU bull evaluation program is really kind of a marketing opportunity for Michigan Cattlemen's Association members. So seed stock producers of any type of breed of beef animal can bring those to the bull evaluation. We basically develop them all at once and they're compared against one another in terms of average daily gain in the past with a lot of other things. But this year, is the first year that we've actually been able to also measure feed intake and and calculate feed efficiency, understand resource use of these bulls and how they may pass those traits on to their offspring. So I'm pretty excited about uh, being able to in, include that as well. So it's an advent it's it's advantageous for the the sellers of these bulls to be able to compare them against one another and sell them uh, at a sale. Uh, cooperatively. And then it's also advantageous to buyers of these bulls because they're getting bulls that are high quality. They've been, they've been through all kinds of uh, testing in terms of the testing regime. And then also, you know, carcass traits and, and docility and foot scores. And there's lots and lots of testing that go on. So we're ensuring that, that good bulls are going out um, into the countryside and, and producing better cattle. So the whole idea is to increase the quality of cattle across 
across Michigan and throughout the region. Yeah, so from the classes that I've taken with you, I know you put a lot of emphasis on beef quality assurance. Can you explain what beef quality assurance is and how it can benefit producers? Beef quality assurance was started back in 1982 as a program of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And at that time, there was a lot of issues with beef injection site lesions. So people were giving injections, say, of antibiotics or vaccines in the rump of the animal. And they, at that time, they decided that was probably not the best management practice. And that's when they came up with being able to put injections in the neck to reduce the amount of, uh, of lesions and important cuts of beef. But it expanded pretty rapidly to include kind of fulsomeness of the product in general, making sure that we're giving vaccinations right, making sure that we're reading labels, making sure that the management practices that we institute, like low stress cattle handling, um, are all working toward producing the best possible product that we can, that we can produce. And so we do a lot of education and programming around that. It's people can be beef quality assurance certified and that certification is good for three years. And then they have to do some training to, to recertify, you know, some of the, some of the benefits to producers are that it, it so happens that when we take really good care of animals, they take really good care of us. And so as we're, as we assure that those animals are, are raised under the best conditions, actually performance tends to get better. Um, the product tends to be better and be, be worth more. And so there's, there's advantages that go both ways. There it works out kind of neat. Yeah, for sure. So how can feedlot producers build more meaningful relationships with cow calf producers and backgrounders to ensure that they're receiving the highest quality cattle? You know, I think that's, that's a really good question. In the past, it's been a lot of kind of repeat marketing ends up getting kind of the, the different segments networked together some. I, I kind of believe, and I'm surprised that this hasn't happened maybe more than it has, but I, I, I have to believe that as we move into the future, especially with um, the, the capital cost being so high as we talked about, I have to believe that we'll probably move toward a, toward a system where Cow-calf producers may be encouraged to retain some partial ownership on their cattle as they move through the segments. We're really, really segmented in the beef industry and in Michigan in particular. There's a lot of people that kind of specialize in cow-calf and stalker and feedlot and not a real coordinated system. It's difficult to coordinate those systems, but I think retaining ownership part of the way through helps you as a segment, let's say, for example, the cow-calf producer would retain ownership, maybe not on all his calves, but some of his calves through the system. That encourages that producer to understand the rest of the system better. It also gives them some skin in the game in terms of understanding when things don't really go that well further down the line, what, what things they can improve on, say, early management of the calf or genetics of, of the cow herd to be able to kind of fix those things later in the system. 
So I, I think we might voluntarily kind of move towards some of those systems to try to link, link people up and, and get a better understanding and better networking all the way through the system. Yeah. So my last question for you is what advice do you have for aspiring individuals to enter the beef industry or for current producers looking to improve their practices? Another excellent question. I think that I think that one of the one of the ways that new people can get into the business, it's a it's not an easy business just to jump into and 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 go a full speed to start with. But there are a lot of producers that are up in age thinking about how they might slow down a bit. And and it seems like in the last few years I've I've helped on a few of these occasions try to try to link up people interested in getting into the business and people interested in kind of slowing down and, and weaning themselves off of that, off of that lifestyle. So if we can get young people kind of side by side being mentored by seasoned people in the industry, I think it helps both um, for sure. It certainly is a great way to get a foot in the door, get some experience before somebody uh, might be able to jump in, say, full time. Um, but it also helps energize those people that that um, maybe have been in the industry for a while, give them some new ideas and some things that they might want to try out. So I think if we can get the younger generation and the older generation to work together, um, we can have some benefits and, and improve practices as well. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for taking the time today to be on the podcast and to share your insights into the beef industry. You are most welcome. Thank you for asking me. Yes, thank you both for joining us on the Michigan Agriculture and Food Podcast. When it comes to agriculture in Michigan, the opportunities are vast. From producers and farmers to those individuals who are preparing the next generation of agriculturalists, there are so many people working to support Michigan agriculture, and we thank them. Thanks to Dr. Buskirk for shedding light on the Michigan beef industry, and thank you to our ambassador, Megan, for interviewing him. And thank you for turning in. We look forward to welcome you back soon as we continue to explore more remarkable individuals and aspects of Michigan that are AF. The Michigan AF podcast is a project of the Michigan Ag Council and the Michigan Grown, Michigan Great campaign. We are a coalition of farmers and agribusinesses committed to providing the best possible foods and products for our neighbors, communities, and the state we all love. To hear more podcasts and to learn about Michigan's agriculture diverse sector, visit michigangrown.org.